previously on Transformers Chronicles. My good is that Jazz likes Madonna. Oh, yeah, that was good. I'm surprised that Madonna, I mean, I'm sure no one brought this comic book to her face and was like, do you see this? Do you see this? But I'm still surprised that they were able to get away with it, you know? Remind me to come back to that comment when we get to number 14, when by that point, it's quite obvious that they do not want to use an actual celebrity. Can't start a fire. Can't start a fire without a light. This spot's for hire. Even if we're just dancing in the night. Do, 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 do. Uh, what are you two doing? Hi, Delvin. We're singing our favorite original songs by the original artists. I don't think very much of that sentence is true. It's everybody's favorite champion of the working class, Brick Springsteen. Born in America. I was born in America. What is happening? Never before have these amazing songs been available on one album. That's true. How much would you pay for the songs you've heard, along with Brick's other hits like Margarita, Glory Years, or everybody's favorite, Cause Bots Like Us. Bots Like Us. Baby, Baby we, we were, were born, born to ride. I would easily pay $1,000. No, you wouldn't, but you don't have to anyway. Operators are standing by for the low, low price of listening to the rest of this episode. You can hear us talk about them. Act now. While Pat's away, the host will play as Maggie sticks around to help us cover one of the more unusual Transformers stories in an episode filled with excitement, analysis, and demonstrating that it's not just the GB Blackrock joke. We can run into the ground tonight on Transformers Chronicles. Transformers Chronicles, the Marvel Years. Hello, and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. In case you're new to the show, welcome, and let me tell you what this thing is all about. We are going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling the awesome, wacky, and sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics, The Transformers, but I will not be going at it alone. Let's meet my chronicling companions. First up, we have our Transformers expert, the lesser half of Married with Comics, the provider of knowledge, Jonathan Schaefer Hames. John, what's up since last episode? I I don't really remember when last episode was, so... <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's uh, as of the time of this recording, it's uh, position players have reported to spring training, so that means spring is going to happen sometime soon, so it's very exciting here at uh, the Schaefer Hames residence. Yeah, baseball! I hear that all of the players are going to be equipped with buzzers now. Is that true? <laughs> oh... <laughs> <laughs> I like baseball. <laughs> you brought it up. That's true. How about you, Delvin? What you been up to? Uh, not too much. It's been relatively slow around here in North Carolina, uh, other than the weather, which has been crazy. At one point, I had this combination of being freezing cold and itchy because it had been warm early in the week. And then all the plants were like, oh, let's blossom. And then it got freezing cold again. So... It's that crazy time of the year, and uh, accordingly, I think my energy's kind of been up, down, left, right, BA start, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, but other than that, things have been relatively good, and so I, I can't complain. Now would be the time that I might talk, or we might pass it to Pat and ask Pat how he's doing, but Pat isn't with us for this episode. He had to take a step away for a little bit. I, I think he said something about going off to a Bruce Springsteen concert or something like that, and like we we couldn't catch him before we could tell him that Bruce Springsteen doesn't exist, but it's okay. He's going to be back eventually, we, we think. He'll be but back sincerely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Or I don't know, you know, maybe if he has the right type of supplements, 
he could have a concert all in his head. Who knows? That's, that's <laughs> true. Or you know, he could always pick up that album that we were plugging at the beginning of the episode. Born in America. All right. So. Pat isn't here, but we need a third. I mean, it, it could be me and John talking, but who just wants to hear us? Nobody, I okay. say. No. So we added a little bit of grace, a little bit of beauty, a little bit of the greater half of the Married with Comics podcast. She is back to grace us with her presence, Maggie Schaefer-Hames. How are you, Maggie? Aw, thanks, Delvin. I'm doing all right. I think it's kind of funny, though, that... Where you live, plants were blooming, and then it got real cold, whereas it's raining ice outside right now. <laughs> oh, no. We can't no. complain too much as far as uh, February's here go, where it's usually the worst. Like last year, we were last desperately year, depressing. We were colder than a spot on Mars, which is <laughs> further away from the sun than Earth is. And we were colder than it. It was like yeah. negative... 40 degrees here. You know what? I remember both John and Pat talking about that. And it was like, I'm sorry. There's nothing else to say other than like, that sounds <laughs> terrible. And yeah. I would never want to be a part of any of that. It sounds awful. Yeah. No, uh, I guess as far as things that have changed, I um, fell off my horse twice. So that's, that's new. Maggie, is that a euphemism or did you literally fall off of a horse? No, I literally fell off a horse. <laughs> I lease them through my aunt. She keeps them at a barn at a stable just outside of town. And my mom and I kind of help with board and with vet fees and farrier and things like that. And in exchange, we get to ride them. And some snow was melting because it was like 30 some degrees. It was a good day to go riding. And some snow melted and fell off the roof of the indoor arena and it spooked them. And he bolted and dumped me in the dirt. And then two weeks later, he did it again. <laughs> so there's that. But I didn't break anything. Huh. So, you know, that's all right then. Fitting to the show then, I, I guess that's saying that you're not born to ride. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I don't make the cut for Bruce Springsteen. Rick Springsteen. Rick Springsteen. So sorry. Springsteen. 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 We're what, do you want to get, get a suit? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Looks like we're all warmed up, so I should continue. The three of us will be talking about issue 14, but in general, we are tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comic books in order, starting with issue one, working our way to the series and at issue 80. We will answer any questions that are brought up to the best of our ability and seeing how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our oh-so-cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So, John, Maggie, it's time to talk some Transformers and the musical stylings of Bruce Springsteen. Sort of. Whatever. Right after this promo. The Transformers will return after these messages. I hope he's home. Why does it sound like I'm using a phone in the UK? I told you never to call me again. Yeah, I know. And modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much I don't care. Look, I'm getting the trailer for this year's JL May together, and I assumed I had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something. <laughs> well, look at you leading this year's JL May. Somebody's wearing his big boy pants. So what's the theme? I sent you an email like a month ago. Like I even pay attention to anything you send me. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis? No, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'm not following. Shocking. The theme this year, I'm, I'm going to, like I'm talking to a child. The theme this year is Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I thought it was a fascinating time period in DC's history. So a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to Infinite Crisis. It's the event before the event. The whole thing is going to kick off on April 30th, 2020, with a special episode of Views from a Longbox covering the Countdown to Infinite Crisis 
80-page giant, and from there, a whole bunch of shows that I will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues. And people actually agreed to this? Shockingly, yes! Well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover Countdown to Infinite Crisis instead of the Countdown series, because that was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine, I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, Don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. JL May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020. On Views from the Longbox. And continues into... Aquaman and Firestorm. The Fire and Water Podcast. Robin. Everyone loves the drink. Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, The Fan Holes Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Married with Comics, The Coffee and Comics Podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Task Force X, Relatively Geeky Presents, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, and the Dr. DC Podcast. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers issue 14. Here's John with the cover description. Transformers 14's cover has the standard Optimus Prime in the corner box and the Transformers and more than meets the eye logo in blue font. The Transformers part of it being lined in purple trim, which looks a lot cooler than I would have thought. Uh, The left side of the cover is dominated by, if I didn't know better, I would say was Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band with the person that looks like the boss uh, looking up in surprise at Hoist, who is interacting with the scaffolding above while dodging a missile being shot by one of the Decepticon sweeps from the above left. Uh, That is colored the same purple as the concert crowd, which fills out the lower section of the cover. Our friends in the UK read this in Transformers UK 53 and 54. The cover of 53 was by Robin Smith and showed all of the new Autobots being activated by what looks comically but like a series of Optimus Prime guns with crystals on them shooting them in the face. 54 is a reprint of Transformers 14, also with an ad for a free packet of six stickers for the Panini Transformers sticker album, which was given away with the issue 52. Or 53. Uh, The issue itself also contained an insert story featuring all of the combiners then available in toys, but only Devastator of which exists in continuity, so trying to fit where that one goes is really weird. Uh, Mm -hmm. Covers are getting better as they go. I'm learning to um, stop worrying and learn to love the lack of backgrounds because we're not going to have backgrounds for quite a while, so I should probably stop complaining. But there is a sense of definite motion And the situation depicted is a pivotal moment in the story. Uh, My main complaints about it would be that uh, Brick's face is a bit strange looking. And the lack of background, which I said I wasn't going to complain about, I'm going to complain about it. uh, It creates a sense of weird scaling with the attacking plane. It almost, if you didn't know better, because there's nothing to contrast it with, it looks like it could be a small toy plane shooting a big missile. Maggie, what did you think of this cover? I'm going to drastically disagree with you. Well, not drastically, but I am going to disagree with you. I quite like this cover. Um, I like that it's compared to some of the other Transformers covers. Well, I guess I shouldn't really say that. I think I've only ever been on the one episode with you guys, but the one other one that I saw. Um, At least this one, like, fills up the whole space. There's a lot going Mm -hmm. on. Um, I like the detail with the crowd and this, like, one lady's got her arm up, like, oh, the humanity. Um... Yeah, the, the plane's perspective is a little goofy, but I, I I just saw it as being very, very far away as opposed to it probably was a little bit closer in the actual story, but whatever. It does depict something that actually happens in the book, which is a thing for me. So it ticks that box. Um, I don't I, I rather liked the cover. So did I. Were you listening to me? I thought you said you were complaining. <laughs> no, I was. You only listened to the last half of everything I say. <laughs> Delvin. Oh, yeah. I forgot how to part of <laughs> I am in between on this cover. Like, when 
And this is kind of a repeating thing for me. I pull out the book and I read it and look at the cover and I had my thoughts about it and then kind of put it aside and picked it up again and looked at it just before we started recording. And I had a more favorable decision or what I thought the cover was. And I think the main reason is it is hoist. I'm not the hugest Hoyt, like they're like he's not very like you know sexy, exciting looking, and he's the main robot on the cover. But if you if I, if I back up from that, the cover is kind of cool because like, Hoist is in a bad spot. He, he's kind of he's the Autobot. He's trying to do the heroic thing, and they're in the middle of a freaking rock concert. So there's some dire straits going on. So that's kind of a cool situation that's being depicted. Uh, in the in the book, I would be remiss though. Looking at the cover, we we didn't give credits, and it looks like uh, Mr. Budiansky himself is the artist for this cover. Budiansky, and if I'm not mistaken, the inker is Mike Espadito. <laughs> I did not know that. I didn't know that Bob Drew. I did know that Bob Drew because I listened to the Epic Marvel podcast, I believe, in the interview that he gave. And he mentioned that he drew some of the covers. And this is a Bob Budiansky cover. Oh, there you go. Unless he's still in credit. <laughs> Somebody else. This is it was actually Budiansky. done by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, <laughs> but to keep it nice. secret, Bob Budiansky has claimed this is true. That is really cool to know. It's, I feel like I got something past our Sherpa, our expert here. I feel very privileged right now. I'm going to take that privilege and continue with the ratings. For those of you who don't know, here on Transformers Chronicles, we rate things 1 to 10 like the tech specs of old so, Maggie, what do you think? What do you rate this cover on a 1 to a 10? I mean, I'm very I'm very tempted to give it a 10 because I, I am rather fond of it. But I think just because Hoist is... I mean, I get it. He's a Transformer. But he's green, as we, I think, mentioned in the Rod Pod. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of my own show. <laughs> I, I would get it. I literally could not. Um, I'll give it an 8. Because I do really like it. I think Hoist is kind of clumsy looking. Um, and yeah, the perspective on the plane is a little bit goofy. But aside from that, I think it's pretty darn awesome. So I'll give it a solid eight. I'll pass it to John. Also going to give it an eight, although I'm leaning really hard on a nine, just because I do like the detail now that I'm looking at it again of the scared people in the crowd in the foreground. Mm-hmm. That It's a really neat effect. Plus, it's a guy you look at, it's like, Bruce Springsteen is on this cover. I'm already buying it. <laughs> so I'm going to give this a nine. Well, geez, guys, for once, I'm the negative, go negative Nelly of this, of the group. Like, I'm not that down on the cover. I just wasn't particularly enamored by it. So I'm, I'm at a seven, though. When I first looked at it, I'm like, this isn't any better than a six. But when I looked at it again, I kind of had a slight change of heart and, and marked it up to a seven because there are some cool things going on. And it's very cool that the writer of the book drew the cover of the book. That's cool, too. That is really, really cool. Here is Maggie with the credits for the issue. Transformers number 14. Publisher was Marvel. Cover date March 1986. Cover price 75 cents for 32 pages. And the editor was Mike Carlin. Title is Rock and Roll Out. 22 pages, written by Bob Budiansky. Penciler was Don Perlin. Inker, Al Gordon. Letterer, Janice Chang. Colorist, Nelson Yamtov. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World and TFWiki.info. Thanks, Maggie. Let's get right to the synopsis. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the
starts the book being branded with the Autobot insignia, of which you might say, if you got branded, I'm on fire. I'm giving it away, it's Bruce Springsteen songs. He's now an Autobot, and while Prime is glad to have him, he's short on troops due to recent battles and supplies to fix them, uh, due to just really getting settled on planet Earth. Prime has tricks up his sleeve, waiting on a sunny day to activate five new Autobots. Grapple, Hoist, Smokescreen, Skids, and Tracks. Leaving only Grapple behind, Prime asks Bumblebee to show the other four Autobots the brave new world and what the human touch is all about. Meanwhile, the Navy takes its turn at the Decepticons, who've been stranded on the oil rig for weeks waiting on Shockwave to return. Hello, Sunshine! He appears with a power siphon that will convert Earth fuel into energon cubes that the Transformers can use. This power siphon can convert any energy, say sonic energy, into energon. Save that for later. The Decepticons move out with the Navy hardly doing anything to stop them. Bumblebee and the new Autobots struggle to, to learn new rules like no racing in the street. While parked at a not Bruce Springsteen show, they detect something off the sound quality and investigate, causing a skirmish with the Decepticons. Long story short, the team of new Autobots fend off the Decepticons' attempt to siphon the sonic energy into Energon, Bumblebee hitting Shockwave with an Energon cube, sending the bad guys up the river. While Optimus was upset at Bumblebee because he didn't wait for backup, he does applaud his ingenuity in handling the situation with no loss of human life. Glory days. Quick intermission, where a Walter Bennett, who was a witness to the Decepticons' escape of the oil rig, is tasked by the White House to come up with a credible story about these new robots who have come around. Will he be successful with that story? You can never tell. So, let's talk about the book. On Transformers Chronicles, we take turns bringing up something from the comic, starting with, but not limited to, goods and bads, and then everyone discusses. So, Maggie, what do you have out to shoot? Uh, let's see. I, I mean, overall, I, I liked this issue. In particular, I think one of the first things that I liked was the title page, which I'm trying to get to right now, with, um, that's Jetfire, right? It is. Yeah, getting his, his Autobot badge brand, which is like, and then and then there's a blood rite that they do because they mix Energon, which is, you know, it's like a blood ritual mm -hmm. kind of a thing. But, it's, but I like the, the holy golden oil can <laughs> that Optimus gives him to do it with. Um, but that title page is, is really good. I really, I quite like it. I think it's really intense. And I like the big hiss in the green letters, um, in the little introduction to the story, and the title itself, Rock and Roll Out, with a Bruce Springsteen call it a parody, I guess. I think it's very neat. I'm not sure what it is. I'm, I'm, my my <laughs> jury is still, is still out on that. And I, and I know John's going to have something to say about that, because they were pretty much referencing Madonna directly, and I don't know whether they did something to maybe leaked this book out or had a quick discussion with Bruce Springsteen and they're like, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I, I would love to know why they went through the trouble of doing this whole Bruce Springsteen parody. Yes, I did my research, which involved me um, tweeting at Bob Budiansky three hours ago and um, he hasn't answered yet. You don't say. <laughs> so hopefully um, he'll answer at some point, but I am extremely curious, especially since, as you alluded to, in uh, issue nine, Jazz is grooving out to Madonna. But he's yeah. playing his, his car radio. And, and specifically lyrics, the lyrics of Material World Girl are being played mm -hmm. and refers to Madonna by name. And But even better, in this issue... The Bangles are, are mentioned as being the next concert to play. Mm -hmm. They're on the poster. So what gives? I also wanted to mention what, uh, some of Maggie's other points. I did think it was a very good attention getter at the start. It, it did tie a loop with issue uh, 12, where that jet fire was kind of in limbo as to what he was going to be. And so that was kind of cool to see that. Uh, call back to that and then it was cool to see that he became an autobot too yeah and the right of the auto brand too that's something that sticks around uh that shows up in idw books a lot if you pay attention to all of these ancient uh, autobot things they're all pretty brutal this one involves um 
of branding you and a blood sacrifice. We do know that uh, robots can feel pain, although sometimes they can turn it off, which makes you wonder why they'd ever have the ability turned on <laughs> in the first place. But, yeah. but uh, there's that, plus uh, there's like ritual combat stuff we'll get to eventually. This is one of those stories where somebody came in and dropped some toys off at Bob's desk and was like, okay, <laughs> story, figure it out. And you got to give uh, Bob some credit for coming up with an, an inventive way to bring five new robots into the four uh, like he did and coming up with a pretty cohesive story to do it. Because as we've mentioned in the past, Bob loves putting the human element into these stories. And so he did human element plus old robots plus new robots and made it into a pretty good story. And I give I give a lot of credit for that. I thought that he did a a good job and I thought he did a good job showcasing, well, at least four of the new five robots that he introduced. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, there's going to be a lot of issues throughout this series that are essentially, here's the new toys you can go buy. And uh, this is one of the better ones. The experience of reading it is kind of like that of watching a particularly good episode of the cartoon. I mean, in the beginning, mm -hmm. there's a thing that happens. An optimist sends a small team out to do a thing. Uh, there's a shockwave has a devious plan, sends um, Starscream, everybody out. They fight for a bit. Bruce Springsteen's there. Um, <laughs> Like you do. And then Bumblebee wins. Yeah, Bumblebee again came up very, very, very strong in the clutch. I like Bumblebee. <laughs> I particularly actually like him in, in this issue. And I'm looking at the, the panel right after the five new Autobots become sentient by and actually wait. He says that they're able to live again. Does Cybertron not exist anymore? What about their bodies back home? Well, that's or the, do they not have bodies anymore? That, that's the thing. All right. So we are to understand that apparently when Optimus went on the original mission to go off and clear the asteroids out of the way, uh, apparently decide, had the foresight to go to, okay, you guys, we don't have any room on the ship for you, <laughs> yeah. but what we'd like you to do <laughs> is download your personalities into this. That way, in case we need you, we'll presumably build you bodies and put this on there. Uh, Prime, how's that going to help in any way on the ship? Just you shut up and do it. I'm the leader. <laughs> You've got the damn creation matrix. You went out of your way to showcase the creation matrix. Why didn't they just have Optimus make these guys? It also implies the idea that does he do do they download their brains or do they just copy them? No, that's what he said. He said, your engrams were encoded as a pattern of light within crystalline containment vessels. So that means that's their whole soul spark yeah. there? he said, you right. five allowed me to copy your minds in case I required more warriors during that's this That's what mission. I'm saying. Copy them. Mm -hmm. So are the original minds yeah, in their original all... bodies, are there like two tracks running around? Are they all, tw they're all twins now? Yeah. Somebody asked Bob that at a or convention, not. and Bob says he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's a good enough. That's uh, that's answer is as good as any. Who the heck's gonna go back and double check them? Like, yeah, I tell you what, we're about to retcon Transformers. <laughs> it's it's not bothering anyone. So if I were Bob, I, I definitely wouldn't be spending much brain power trying to come up with an explanation either. I would, if anything, I would have just indulged them. Are there are there twin like are there twin tracks or whatever over inside? Yes. <laughs> absolutely are. But all that said, though, it is pretty. It's a whole really cool thing. The whole situation, and now we're gonna beam in some brains to these robots <laughs> we built. I mean, this is definitely going off the track. But that almost that sounds like it could be a really cool sci-fi movie if they like. That almost sounds like Avatar ish. Like, what if you did that with humans? That you could just like take like human like and put them in light and then like find other shells to put them in. I know I've read a similar concept concept of that in a sci-fi book and it's gonna bug me now. I mean, if I could have my brain waves copied down as light waves and like put in some crystalline crystalline containment thingy and then get my brain waves beamed into a new body and then get to go to a Bruce Springsteen concert. Brick Springsteen. <laughs> oh. I'd sign up for that. It, it was Springhorn at one point. Yes, they did. They called him Springhorn at one point in this. Is that like a, John Cougar Mellencamp? Yeah, and, that's he had to change his name at one point for this second album. Yeah. Maggie, do yeah. you have 
a hi, a low, or something else to add about the story. I was particularly pleased to see that this is where Skids um, shows up, apparently, in his creative, because in the uh, More Than Meets the Eye that we cover on the Rod Pod, I am a rather a big fan of Skids. So I thought that was kind of cool, just to get to see him from a in, kind of an origin perspective. He doesn't play like a huge role in the story, but he's still there. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Bob Budiansky likes Skids a lot. Skids is real cool, and he's very cool in, in the IDW Phase 2 books. <laughs> very, very different. He's very, uh, From what I understand, he's very different. What makes you a big fan of Skids? He is kind of like 007 in the IDW Phase 2 books. Um He's just an interesting character, and when he first shows up, he's got a, a bit of a mystery surrounding him with this gun he's holding and this sign he's scratched into the wall of his cockpit behind him, and you don't really know what's going on, and he doesn't know what's going on. It's just a really good introduction to the character, and it kind of stuck with me, so I, I like that character. Cool. Yeah. Um, but as I was, as was going to say before I got on that tangent about the five bodies, um, I really like the little panel of Bumblebee holding up his fist like he's super excited, saying, Earthlings would call me a tour guide. <laughs> I just think that that's a very adorable thing for Bumblebee to do and say. I wonder how Bumblebee just got that default cuteness, everyone likes him. Yeah. I guess the, the, the nearest thing now, it, it was Groot, but Groot has been thrown on the pyre and replaced by Baby Yoda. Oh, for sure. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, I, 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 but that's Bumblebee in the Transformers universe. He's that kind of everyman cute robot that everyone likes for whatever reason. I, you, you rarely hear anyone saying they dislike Bumblebee. Yeah, it seems to be the same people who don't like Bumblebee or the, remind me of the kind of people who say they don't like Superman because he's boring. It seems to be kind of a similar chip for some reason against Bumblebee. But I liked the Bumblebee movie and the Bumblebee in the Robots in Disguise IDW Facebook Phase 2 books that we cover is drastically different from this Bumblebee. Oh, God, yeah. He would never raise his arm in excitement for anything. <laughs> <laughs> that Bumblebee is hardened and grizzled and angry. <laughs> Um, and not cute at all, but, but this one sure is. So it's it's kind of nice to see that this iteration of, of Bumblebee. Well, I listened to one of those shows uh, that y'all put out, and mm-hmm. I would say that a characteristic that Bumblebee does share is that he he went rogue a little bit. He saw a situation unfolding with the Decepticons, mm-hmm. and his orders were to not get involved in any way. And he was kind of like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm going to stop this and I'm going to take care of it. And that could have gotten him in trouble. And and he did fess up. He's like, yes, I did do it. But he absolutely went out on his own and decided that he would be a leader in that situation as opposed to just standing idly by. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was well said. I would agree with you on that. Bumblebee is, even tech wise he's much braver than he is smart. So he is always going to lead with his courage. You know, he always thinks he's going to, to do the right thing. And this time it worked out really well for him. I would say that it worked out as best as it possibly could because Shockwave could have destroyed him. He didn't. He decided to threaten the humans instead. And then Bumblebee had to make a one in a million shot (laughs) by hurling that Energon cube into his barrel. And he did it. Yeah. (laughs) The DM is saying, you want to what? I want to throw an Energon cube up and catch him right as he's shooting it. All right. But you got disadvantage. And he rolls two Two, 20s. Two natural 20s. Well, I'll tell you one part I like, and sometimes you read the story and I I don't know, I get this image of what the writer was thinking and the writer wanted at one point to showcase those four robots. Well, what's the best way to showcase those four robots? Only have those four robots doing the fighting and the talking and the thinking. Well, how are they going to remove? How's that going to happen? Well, we might we need to remove Bumblebee. How are we going to remove Bumblebee? Bumblebee was the main one making sense. Let's have him disappear in a rock slide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That that will that will separate the uh, new characters from the old characters, and new characters have to find a way to kind of stand up on their own. And it looks like Hoist was the main one that kind of took center stage there, don't you think? Yeah, I kind of wondered. I want why Hoist got the 
the bulk of the attention in this one. Uh, judging by the one panel where you see hoist from behind, I'm going to guess that the artist had a hoist toy. Because I had a hoist toy, and it looks exactly like a transformed hoist from behind. Hmm. It's in the scene where hoist catches the scaffolding and is talking to Brick and Big Man. Um, you can see from behind, that is exactly what Hoist's uh, back looks like. In future Ooh. depictions of Hoist that you see, he doesn't look like that. They have a much more um, cartoon-oriented model for him, which he apparently didn't get. So I maybe he just liked the way he looked, but he definitely had it for reference. That's cool. And that's also cool that they decided to put that extra detail in there. The artist of this book, again, was it Perlin? Yeah, it was. It was Don Perlin. Yeah, we got Don Perlin for quite a while. Perlin's art is really starting to come around for me. This is still not yet as good as he gets. Once he gets to, once you get to like seventeen, by that point he's really firing on all cylinders. But in this, you get to see a lot of good stuff here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought the art throughout this book was was quite good. Do y'all have anything else that you want to add? I got a couple of things. Go for They're quick. Uh, the, the fact that it's Brick Springsteen in the 10th Avenue band uh, most likely is a reference to a, to the Bruce Springsteen song 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Also, Energon Cubes. This is the first time we get Energon Cubes in the comic. Oh, is it? Right. Uh-huh. In another, we, we already started to see uh, this sort of thing uh, creep into, but they're doing their best to try to match the brands a bit. They're trying to make this more like the cartoon. The cartoon has had many more episodes than there have been issues, obviously. Sure. And so, I mean, Hasbro steps in from time to time and, and mandates this. So we get Energon Cubes. You'll start to see things like the Space Bridge like coming on Ooh, from that. Space Bridge. You know, I got to say, when I was reading this one in particular, this issue in particular, I definitely read it like it was a cartoon. I read it with like the, the delivery kind of from the cartoon and that sort of cadence, and it, it's definitely that kind of just wacky enough sort of a plot. It was a good time. It, it, it's a lighthearted romp. I want to add something to what John said. Let's give Bob a lot of credit here. If he's being pulled multiple directions, introduce these characters. Okay, the cartoon came up with this cool thing. He pretty seamlessly worked it into this story. I, who knows what was going on at the time in the mid-80s. He, maybe he had a full head of hair and he was ripping all of it <laughs> But looking at it in hindsight, for him to say, okay, yeah, I got to come up with this Energon Cube. All right, it's cool. I'll come up with this MacGuffin and we'll put this right in here. And that way, bam, we'll move the Decepticons from the platform and they're just not sitting in one place anymore. I could put them anywhere on Earth now. Dang. Um, it does change the game a lot in that both sides have solved their energy problems for the time being. Mm-hmm. Decepticons have the Energon cubes and the um, Autobots get to go to Eddie Gibbon GB Blackrock gas station, which that must have been a fun day of orientation. All right. The first thing that you've got to know before anything, including how to clock in, is that occasionally these alien robots that look like cars <laughs> are going to come here looking for gas. You do whatever they tell you to. Yeah, because the whole fat simile thing of the humans was bad in execution, but it was intentionally bad. Like <laughs> It was pretty great. It's like, well, what the hell you want me to do? I'm, here you go. Yeah, the robots were like, yeah, let's let's be humans. And, and they can't. They're <laughs> terrible at it. They have basically no understanding. Nowadays, you think that you know there would be some hard light hologram or something that could even get out of the car and do some sort of fake interaction. But back in the 80s, they weren't yeah. thinking about stuff like that. Not at all. Plus, man, it's a little bit mean to, I guess they needed fuel after they built them the new new robot shells. It's like, take them to get gassed up. But man, that's a pretty uh, big load to put on them. Okay, by the way, all of the cars here aren't sentient, and these little pink and brown and yellow things running around, those are are actually alive. And we need to get gas from them now. Right. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) That is something that you'd have to get used to. Yeah. If you're a robot, I suppose. Yeah. Anything else, y'all? Two quick things. Sorry, I'm arguing this. There's a lot of things that go out of this. Shockwave's back somehow. Last we saw him, he was dumped into a quicksand or tar or whatever it was. But he's not shown escaping. He is shown getting out in one of the UK books. 
which if that version is canon in Marvel canon, then that means that's the only time that they ever took anything that happened in the UK books and brought it here. The UK books would refer to events here, but not vice versa, really. They kind of couldn't the way it was being written. And also Starscream's in it. So and he's actually being kind of a, you know, conniving person. So that's kind of cool. If if anything, a little less conniving and almost bossy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and that usually isn't Starscream. Usually Starscream is kind of pitiful and sniveling. And in this case, he was like, Shockwave, where the heck have you been? <laughs> you owe us an explanation. I know I I demand an explanation. Like, yeah. oh, well, Megatron's been gone for a while. I think he's about ready to make his play. What about you, Maggie? The only other thing I wanted to say was that I had, I thought it was very funny when it's G- GB, right? GB Blackrock is standing on the ship with the, like, I guess, undercover intelligence guy. He says it's Barnett. 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 I yeah, like yeah. Barnett. Is this his first appearance? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he sticks around. But he says, it's nice to know you government intelligence guys are doing something useful with my taxes, spending it on me. And I'm like, it's 1986 and you're a millionaire. You're not paying any taxes. (laughs) (laughs) But nice try. Well, if he had to pay taxes, he wouldn't be able to, you know, make, you know, have enough free circuitry lying around for a circuit breaker. breaker Become a super villain. Well, now it's my turn to extend this conversation a little bit longer because it's it's worth mentioning, I believe. We introduced Barnett, and Barnett is a part of the I-I-I, when I'm not going to look up what the heck that stands for. But they have to come up with some human solution as to why the heck these robots are around. That's kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. It really is. And Bob is pushing the human story forward. They are more than accessories. GB is still a player. He's almost as, in his own way, he's almost as obsessed as Josie is in this. He's obsessed at being able to take his stuff back because it's his stuff. But now he's reluctantly working with the government, who is, or apparently this is the deep state shadow government that has a secret layer within the Capitol building. Yeah, it's the something intelligence institution, and it's going to bother me that I can't remember what the first I stands for. Intelligence and... I have the comic book in front of me and just have to turn pages, and I didn't go back and look. It's intelligence and information institution. I was trying to find the panel that has it on there, because otherwise... The I, I, I. The triple I. Don't they abandon that and go with, like, rat eventually? Well, that's a spoiler. I remember Rat, but I can't remember under what uh, circumstance Rat comes about. So let's just stick a pin in it and, until <laughs> such time. I saw Rat at Rockfest, and the situation I saw them in was the lead singer was drunk and fell off the stage and broke his leg. <laughs> Ow. Right from the beginning, you would John, Maggie, is there anything else? Nope, we're good. I paused a few seconds because I didn't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually a safe bet. (laughs) (laughs) Now is the time for us to talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or Human. start and i'm gonna go with uh, our little yellow buddy bumblebee bumblebee even though he kind of went you know rogue a little bit he did have a good reason for doing it and he ultimately saw that there were bad guys who needed taken care of and he took care of them so kudos to bumblebee what do you think maggie 
Uh, actually, it's funny because I'm going to agree with you. I was going to give it to Bumblebee as well. He was such an excellent tour guide uh, to the new guys and did a good job explaining, you know, you got to follow the speed limit. You got to read their signs. You have to remember that, you know, the, the humans are the dominant species on this planet, not the mechanical things. And I, I thought he was, and, and I like that he went rogue and kind of took things into his own hands when the situation called for him to do so. It's a very bumblebee thing to do. That He's not just going to sit idly by and watch the Decepticons steal sound from a Brick Springsteen concert. That's unheard of. That's like a Cobra Commander plot. It is like a Cobra <laughs> Commander plot. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I'll give it to Bumblebee as well. John, what about you? Bumblebee was way better than Jazz is in these circumstances. Bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Prime heard what Jazz had been up to while he was gone. No, Jazz, you don't get to leave anymore. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I am going to give it to the obvious choice, Rick Springstern. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Rick Springstern, when face-to-face with the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence <laughs> in the form of a giant robot, who was obviously helping him out, makes the connection, which very few other humans do in this, that he's a good guy, and manages to um, keep his crowd from panicking which would have caused many injuries and or deaths, all the while um, slummited a little bit at the height of his popularity by doing what appears to be a daytime concert in an unnamed town in Oregon. So, Brick Springstern, <laughs> you've got the touch, my friend. You know what? That That's very hard to disagree with. I, I can't disagree with it. That, that was wonderful. Good job, John. So... If we have talked about the touch, then someone had to be out of touch. We talk about the character that was the worst in the book, and they should be forced to play backup bass guitar in an imitation rock band in the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. Who was less than meets the eye to you? You know, it's kind of hard, honestly, to choose a less than meets the eye for this issue. Um, But I'll give it to the other Autobots that were created and did, like, next to nothing, aside from Hoist. Who was that? That was Trax, Skids, and Grapple? Smokescreen. Smokescreen. And Grapple. And Grapple. Who stays behind to do a secret project. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because he says he was an architect. But otherwise, they, I mean, they got debuted for a panel and then they disappeared into the background. So if I have to pick a less than meets the eye, I guess I'll give it to them. But under duress. Because I like this book overall and I liked everyone in it. What about you, John? I'll give it Shockwave. Shockwave has amassed more and more than meets the eyes than I think anybody so far, so he needs a bit to offset him. Plus, in this one, he gets it handed to him by the smallest and weakest Autobot, which, from his logical mind, must really just cause him to robot itch. So, <laughs> I'm laughing, and I am in absolute agreement with you. Shockwave went from issue, was it, six? Where he handed Megatron his butt. Oh, yeah. To the, where Megatron is like, just kill me. To now he's getting owned by Bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is quite a tragic fall for Shockwave to where he was thrown into, a, uh, into quicksand, came out out of nowhere, came back barking orders everywhere, and then gets his butt kicked by Bumblebee of all people. So, yeah, Shockwave wears the L crown for this episode. Absolutely. <laughs> Now is the time for overall ratings of the book. Same thing as before, 1 through 10, where we tell you what we think about the book overall. John, 1 to 10, what do you rate Transformers 14? I'm going to give it a 9. This is a very good episode or issue. Uh, This would be an issue that if I was going to give it to somebody who didn't know anything about Transformers and I wanted to give them one comic of the original comic to kind of get them, I would give them this before I would give them issue one. It's certainly more fun than issue one, that's for sure. Yeah, 
this has everything in it that you need to know about the Transformers and what kind of things they do, what kind of stories they are, um, the differences in characters. And it's got this fun, goofy story that, that gets resolved in, in a one-and-done issue. So I'm giving it a nine. Awesome. Maggie. Um, yeah, actually, I second that nine. I'll give it a nine, too. I think it's a solidly good issue. I thought it was a lot of fun. I really like the art. Um, I thought the Brick Springstern thing was absolutely hilarious. So, yeah, I, I think I think a nine is, is well-deserved for this issue. What about you, though, Delvin? I'm right behind you, two. I'm at an eight. Uh, no other reason than... I don't have a huge reason for going a little bit lower other than it's just a feel thing. When I first read it, I was a little bit skeptical about it. But upon rereading, I was thinking this is a well put together story. And it was a great way to introduce some characters uh, to the book. It was a solid story. It was yet another great attempt at merging humans with the Transformers as well from both the Autobot side and the Decepticon side. So right now, Bob is doing a great job, and the artwork is coming close to matching exactly where it needs to be, too. So it's an absolutely solid job and an enjoyable read. We can and will never leave you without John's segment of the show called Transformer Spotlight, where he discusses a particular Transformer, which was featured in today's issue. All yours, John. Okay, today we are doing Bruce Springsteen. All right, Bruce's strength is four. Bruce is a human, but he can take Rumble out, so he's got it stronger than Rumble, so four. His intelligence is a six. Bruce is a pretty sharp guy, but he's not like Perceptor or Brainstorm smart, so he's six. His strength is, his speed is a three. You know, he's a human. Uh, His endurance is a 10. Bruce is 70 years old, and he has been touring nonstop since 1964, and nobody puts on a longer or louder show than this man. It's insane. If you have the opportunity to see him, uh, do so, because he's not going to be touring forever. Pretty impressive. His rank is 10. He's the boss. (laughs) (laughs) His courage is 10. Uh, His firepower is 1. He's a human and doesn't appear to use any sort of weapons, projectile, or otherwise. And his skill is 10. Uh, all right, all right, stop this right now. Pat goes away for one episode and you start wrecking the place. This is Transformer Spotlight, a spotlight about Transformers. And it's Circuit Breaker once. You would do all every week if we'd let you. Yep. Besides, you devoted yourself to the Brick Springstern bit all episode. Why are you going all Springsteen now? In Transformers UK 31, Buster is listening to the song Glory Days off of a tape which clearly says Bruce Springsteen. What? That just raises further questions. You think that's bad? In the Valentine Jr. Find Your Fate books, the little choose your adventure Transformers you could get by Barbara and Scott Siegel of NPR fame, of all people, uh, Rekar quotes lyrics that are clearly by Bruce Springsteen at Sparkplug. And thank you for coming to John's TED Talk. Now be quiet while I talk about hoist. <laughs> Here's what it said on the back of Hoist toy. Allegiance, Autobot. Function, maintenance. Motto, you have to be rolling before you can be fighting. Which kind of fits, because they kept telling them, like, don't fight because you're brand new baby Autobots. So you you gotta, like, (laughs) learn the ropes before you can fight the Decepticons. Uh, No exceptions. All Autobots must submit to his maintenance schedule. Knows they must operate at peak efficiency in battle. Jovial, enjoys job, and is good at it. We'll find any problem from engine overhaul to smallest leaky gasket. As tow truck hauls 40,000 pounds, good lord. As robot, very strong, launches heat-seeking missiles from wrist sockets. Full-spectrum multi-sensor behind his head determines an object's composition, density, tensile strength, and energy properties. Uh, his, what are they called? Specs. His specs. Strength is an 8. Intelligence is a 6. Speed is a 3. Endurance is 7. His rank is four. Courage is eight. He's very brave. Firepower is a six. And his skill is a nine. Almost as good as Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Almost as good as Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) But neither are as good as Brick Springsteen. No. Uh, Hoist is a green reissue of Trailbreaker with a different head. The end. (laughs) I have hours worth of stuff I can still say about Bruce Springsteen. All right, all right. Hoist was one of the second wave of Autobot cars released. Most of the rest of them appear in this issue except for Inferno and Red Alert for some reason, which is sad because I like Red Alert. 
Twist is in what seems like every episode of season two of the cartoon, even getting to go back in time to medieval England in one episode. As for the Marvel comics, like a lot of new characters, this is the most you're going to see him do. He shows up in the background of a few issues, but Skids is the new toy that gets featured the most out of this group, and we get a lot of him in the next few issues. And he's one of my favorites in the IDW Phase 2 book, so ha. IDW did a one-shot spotlight of Hoist called Spotlight Hoist, which is probably the best treatment the character gets in any media. Uh, We learned he harbors a very deep-seated guilt and fear over events that occurred to him a long time ago, from which he is able to find strength and save the day. If that sounds like a fun story, you should check out the Rod Pod episode 6 over on our Married with Comics feed, where we cover that one. And also Ryan Daly is there. That's how it's done. (laughs) (laughs) Is that supposed to get people to listen because Ryan's there? I was confused by that. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. Hey, Ryan, all Ryan did was whine about how Hoist was lame. (laughs) He wasn't a big fan, but that's okay. (laughs) I don't have anything against Hoist, but as it was just discussed, I don't. I've never really gotten to know him. Maybe Hoist is a cool mofo, and he's just been slept on. And there's been some, you know, how it is. There's some writer out there who would give his left appendage. I'm not going to say which one to <laughs> write that ultimate Hoist sort story. There's one person out there who wants to do it. That person's name is James Roberts, and I think he already did it in Spotlight <laughs> Hoist. I think he said pretty much all you can do about this guy. Maybe, because same thing with Trailbreaker. Only thing I remember Trailbreaker for is like the cartoon where he had that cool force field, but that's really it. That's all I know of Trailbreaker. Coincidentally, on that same episode, we cover Spotlight Trailbreaker. <laughs> Spotlight Trailbreaker. Where he yep. loses the use of his force field for one uh, issue and has to... Kind of like that one. That was pretty that good. Was, I like that one, too. Yeah. And we will go to a promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994, or 1944, or maybe 2994? Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis, and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. We now return to the Transformers. And that's the show. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue number 15, where we learn if Barnett actually does come up with a plausible story for us fleshlings to mentally digest. He comes up with a story. I don't know if it's a plausible one. (laughs) It was good enough for government work. All right. If you'd like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most podcasters to include Spotify at www.longboxcrusade.com, Twitter at Longbox Crusade, Facebook and Instagram, Longbox Crusade, and Patreon at Longbox Crusade. We would like to say a special thank you to our Crusaders Club members. We do a YouTube if you subscribe. Uh, Long Boss Crusade. We have a do a live stream once a month, every second Sunday. And I happen to know a certain yard sale artist who pops up from time to time where he does some drawings and he loves for people to talk with him. So please sign up for the feed and join along in the fun. You can also email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. John, why don't you tell us about your podcast? and where you can be found on the internet. You can check out The Rod Pod, where Maggie and I cover the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order. Also, Married with Comics, where we talk about everything else. You can find either of those by appointing your podcatchers at Married with Comics, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other podcatcher places, or you can tell your Amazon device to play Married with Comics podcast. John has not gotten over the novelty of that yet. Nope. Otherwise, we are on Twitter at MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie and the Rain. 
And our email is marriedwcomics at gmail.com. And I can be found on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. See you next time. May your luster never dull and your wires never cross. Till all are one. Till all are one. Till all are one. Till all are one. Sail for sail.